here we are, friends. Uh, we are uh, we're continuing on in our study in the book of Matthew. Um, Richard, you can pull up the first slide here. Um, maybe. Here we go. So the title for today's message is called Handling the Truth. Handling the Truth. Our main passage for today is going to be from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. I bet you didn't think you knew there were all these verses in Matthew, but here we are. Matthew 5, uh, we're, we're going at a snail's pace. And no, 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 don't give that away. I love you, Richard. Thank you. Okay. All right. The big idea, here we go, is that God's people should live with integrity. God's people should live with integrity. It should go without saying, but uh, Jesus points it out. And so uh, don't advance to the next slide yet. We're not there yet. So like I said, we've been going through a, a, uh, a time through the Gospel of Matthew. We are crawling along, uh, and that's on purpose. We just want to get all that we can out of the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been hunkering down, camping out in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where Jesus, it's his most famous uh, uh, group of teaching, <clears throat> uh, where he sat his disciples down on, along the hillside by the Sea of Galilee, and he began teaching them the good news about the kingdom of God. And he had been preaching and uh, doing miracles and kind of doing this healing ministry thing uh, for a time, and then he had called his disciples, and then that brings us to the Sermon on the Mount where he's teaching them uh, open-air teaching uh, to them. And so we're in a section where we get these six case study examples um, of what the kingdom of God looks like when it comes into our life. Um, specifically, what is the culture of God's kingdom and how does, that, how does that match up or rather not match up with our understanding of the kingdom of God or just life in general? So, for example, our very first week within this, uh, this group of six, <clears throat> we covered the topic of reconciliation, uh, which... Uh, might seem strange because that word reconcile, well, no, that isn't there. Never mind. I'm, I'm shooting from the hip this morning with this review. But uh, the word reconciliation is in there, but uh, Jesus is really fixating on this topic of anger and what anger does to us and how that, uh, that affects our relationships with other people. Uh, then next we cover the topic of adultery. Here, I need to verify. Hold, please. Hold on. Okay. Was that it? Yeah. Anger, lust, adultery. Uh, last week we touched on divorce. Um, and uh, my aim, uh, I'm really bummed that that didn't get online because that was a, that was a good sermon. So uh, I'll see. That was a hard one to pump out, y'all. So anyway, uh, so uh, that'll be online soon. Uh, but we talked through these topics and what the kingdom of God uh, uh, the standard for what God is aiming for in our lives in relation to those topics. Today, uh, it might feel like, uh, whew, 
I'm good to go. Um, uh, and you might be there, and that's okay. Um, uh, you know, you might be thinking, man, I am doing excellent. I don't make an oath on anything. Um, but uh, we're talking about the practice of making oaths. And uh, there's what, uh, uh, you know, there might be more than meets the eye, so to speak, in, in relation to this. You can go to the next slide. So I was, I was trying to think of how to, how to think about, about this topic to introduce it here. So I found this really great meme because I love classic oldies. And so there's Buffalo Springfield and he's singing, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear and there's the fuzzy image there, right? Uh, go to the next one here. Uh, there's just this picturesque thing. I'm pretty sure this is on a motivational poster somewhere uh, where you see like the tip of the iceberg, right? But then always, as we, we know from history and, and just life in general, there's a whole lot more underneath that little peak there than meets the eye. And so uh, there's something more going on here that we're not getting the whole story if all we ever did was look at at the top, uh, at what you can see on the surface, right? Go ahead and go to the next one here. This is something I thought was interesting. I, I came across this meme also. Uh, so there's the apple, and you see it in the mirror, right? But then behind it, there's this big old hunk taken out of it, like somebody just chowed down on that apple, which uh, the caption read when I, it came across my newsfeed on social media this week. It said, you know, be gracious to people. You never know really what, what is going on. Um, on. On, what is that? Your right, my left side, we have the picturesque 1950s nuclear family, right? Uh, you know, dad handing his son a perfectly made hot dog and their smiles and, and, and the wife is just looking adoringly at her husband like, oh, you can do no wrong, right? And <laughs> y'all are chuckling because you know that even though we, we kind of assign to the 1950s and, and whatnot this kind of picturesque Pleasantville style life, that wasn't exactly how it happened, was it? Um, I mean, little, the little guy there, the little son was probably a little twerp and <laughs> decided, hey, I'm going to be a little rascal and, you know, I don't know, drown the hedges or something. I don't know. Um, and usually there was probably some yelling and some other stuff going on there. It's not exactly what, what we picture when we, we think of it, but that's, that is what we do think of when we think of the 1950s. And what I mean by that is that there's something else going on usually, right? We, we see this outward exterior, this front that's put up, and usually there's something maybe deeper going on inside of a person, right? You can go to the next slide. So here is, uh, so on the left side, Guys, directions are hard, especially because I have a prompt in the back, and so I'm like, oh, hey, cool. Uh, it's probably the same. Anyway, so on the left side, you have this guy who is sharp, 
perfectly dressed. I mean, he is just to the nines. He is putting his look good on. He is just presenting his best foot forward. Um, and it's true that when you go and apply for a job, maybe not as much anymore because I got the job report from, uh, from, I think it was New York Times even, or maybe it was the Oregonian posted and said that we have more jobs in Oregon than we do unemployed people. That's staggering. Anyway, uh, and, uh, but I'm not commenting on that for a moment, but I'm just saying, staggering. But here's this guy, sharply dressed, and I was raised in school to know you put your best foot forward, right? So you dress for success, you do that, and so you, you, even though the rest of the time you might look like a slob or, you know, just hang out in your basketball shorts or something and have pizza grease stains or something on, on, on your shirt or something like that, there are times when people put that front on and they say, here's my best, right? We even used to have a phrase called your Sunday best when people used to dress to the nines to go to church. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I was convinced because my church at the time, it was still in that culture. And so um, I was like, as like a little four-year-old kid, I got to have my three-piece suit to go to church. Uh, thank, I'm glad those days are gone. And so anyway, so there's that guy. But, you know, I am willing to bet that that guy, he has probably at least like a $300 suit on, maybe like a $10 tie or something. He's got some really nice shades going on or some glasses. But I, I bet you he eats Top Ramen because, you know, uh, he's, he's a young guy and that usually means that he may not exactly have enough money. You know, maybe he drives a, a nice sports car or something if at all, because he's in a city, so he might take public transit, and he's just standing there on the bus, wearing his suit, going to his job. And then there's this picture of this woman, and I love this picture because uh, Angie and I went to the Portland Art Museum one time, and we went through all the exhibits, and I came across this one. I don't know who painted it. I, I do now because I had to look it up, but... Um, but there's this woman, and the caption is just, girl with a cigarette. Um, I used to smoke. And so I was like, oh, that's amazing. And so, but when I look at it, though, what I love so much about that picture is it's so raw and so honest. You, what it, whatever you're going through, I'm willing to bet at some point in your life you felt like that gal in that painting. But even then, with all of these pictures that I'm showing you, that's still a perception that somebody at some point took a picture or painted and they imposed this, projected this reality onto this picture. So maybe, maybe this gal wasn't really so hard off, but maybe the painter was going through a hard time, right? So uh, is there another one after that? No, I don't think so. Okay, so that leads me to a big question. As we look to the words of Jesus, you can go to the next slide. Is what we say and project to the world a true reflection of who we are or what we're going through? Is what we say and project to the world a true reflection of who we are 
or what we're going through. Because I think, well, I know that what we're going to go through today, it, we're, we're dealing with the topic of integrity. We're dealing with the topic of honesty. And if we're really honest, a lot of times, you know, if somebody asks us, how, how are you doing? Our knee-jerk response, without even thinking about it, I mean, unless you are just really super down, your knee-jerk reaction, without even thinking about it, not a second thought, is, I'm doing good. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I, uh, you know, if, if you're really, uh, you know, speaking the Christianese, you know, too blessed to be stressed, right? Uh, but, um, but we project that out, but something else might be going on on the inside. Something else might be happening. So without further ado, let's transition to looking at the scriptures. So Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Jesus speaking, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And uh, Richard, you can stay on the side for a moment. <clears throat> so here, stay. So, pause. There we go. Um, so, yeah. Here we go. So here we find the similar pattern to the other examples. Jesus cites some verse or command that was in Scripture. He's not discounting that whatsoever. But then he says, so he says, you've heard it said, or it is written. But then he goes on to say, but I say to you. And that's where Jesus puts his teaching right alongside the Old Testament law and makes it equal in, in weight and value, but even in the requirement of it, often in the section, it's calling us to a higher standard, something that is higher than what we were expecting or maybe our, our basic understanding of that thing. And so here we find that again. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Is Jesus really saying that we should avoid all oaths. We can look at the, the, the canon of Scripture, and we know that Jesus was in court uh, towards the end of his life, and he had to swear uh, in that court. So, uh, and we also know that the Apostle Paul at one point had a similar run-in, and we've seen other believers where they've been drawn up on charges for believing in Jesus, and uh, they've had to do a similar thing. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing something that he's been doing all along. He's using hyperbole. He, he's exaggerating it to the point to say, pay attention. And he's also trying to get at something a little deeper here. So uh, you can go to the next slide. So 
in that there wasn't a specific verse that was cited. It was just kind of more of a summary of a topic of taking an oath. And we have them up here on the screen. So there were four kind of references in the Old Testament law. So number one, from Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, Number two, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Uh, Number three, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath uh, to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And number four, uh, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, in each of these verses here, um, there's a common thread throughout them all, and it's the name of the Lord. Uh, In your English translations of the Bible, you may have noticed this at one point and thought it was a a, a typographical error. It's not. the word Lord in all capital letters is the English way of corresponding and linking us back to the original Hebrew uh, word for the name of God, and that name is Yahweh. And last week we talked about how, well, the last couple of weeks, how God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. That means that God makes promises and he keeps them. He follows through on what he says he's going to do. He is faithful, he is true, he is consistent. Uh, and that also points to his holiness. And so the third commandment, if you were to go in the list of 10, is this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And oftentimes we chalk that up to just tagging the, the word God or Jesus onto uh, some kind of a slur, right? Or some kind of a, a, a cuss, cussing, right? That's not exactly what's going on here. Um, in any of these cases, because uh, you may have heard before the verse from Second Chronicles, those who are called by my name, if they humble themselves and pray, I will uh, uh, heal their land. I'm paraphrasing. I didn't have that in my notes. But anyway, uh, people, the people of God were called by God's name. People had an idea about God because of his people. And so really we're talking about, you know, us banking on God's reputation and maybe even soiling his reputation by how we live, by how we, we do or don't follow through on the things that we say we're going to do. And so there was a practice um, in, uh, in ancient times where you would make an oath and you would say, well, um, by the name of the Lord God, you know, this is true. Or like you would swear in an official capacity. Um, but then people thought, oh, that might be going too far, so let's, uh, let's divert it to some other objects that are associated with God. And so, and we'll get to that in a moment, but in all of those things, we're trying to chalk it up to Um, we're trying to call on or invoke this name for the sake of trying to make us feel better about ourselves or, uh, or that kind of thing. 
You can go to the next slide. The first thing I learned from this passage is that Jesus confronts our habit of spin. Spin is a, it's a newer term, uh, or it's just more common nowadays, but uh, really it's the, the way of like spinning a lie, spinning, spinning a truth maybe, like trying to put your spin on a certain thing. It's your version of the thing. And that's your subjective reality, that's your subjective perspective, but you're spinning it, right? And Jesus confronts our habit of spin by citing this practice of oath-taking. And so I have a basketball hoop up there because when I was a kid, um, I went, uh, well, probably when I was uh, four or five years old, I think, um, my parents got a basketball hoop for our driveway. And um, so my sister would go out and play basketball, shoot hoops with my dad. Um, I wanted to do the same thing, so I'd ride on his shoulders, make the basket every now and then. Um, I was even taught how to do, quote, granny style by holding the ball between my legs like you're giving birth and we're going to toss it up into the air, right? Um, and I would make it probably 10% of the time, maybe less even, really. I was terrible. I'm not really a sports guy at heart. Um, I love the fact that other people are sports people, and that's awesome. I'm just, I'm, I'm an artsy guy. That doesn't mean the two can't coexist, but that's just how I am. So where this all comes into play so as a four or five-year-old, my mom would be uh, cooking dinner in our kitchen, which was right on the side of the house by the basketball hoop in our, our driveway area. And so she would send me outside because I was an uh, annoying little kid. And so I would go out and I'd play. I'd be trying to shoot the hoops. And I would do, do my granny style, right? And I'd miss. But then somehow... I don't really think anybody prompted me to do this. I think I just did. Somewhere along the line, I got into this habit of I would hit the backboard, nowhere near the net, and I would yell inside and I'd say, Mom, I made it. Mom, I made it. And I think my mom was too busy making the food to really care what I was saying, right? But then, as I was going to church, and I probably had some Sunday school lesson where I learned about lying, and I really came under conviction of the Holy Spirit, where I was made aware that, oh, lying's not okay, right? Uh, you know, spinning my truth by not making it, oh, I made it. That's really not a good practice, is it? And so actually for me, that was when I first came to faith in Jesus and really uh, called Jesus my Lord and Savior, it was in response to, you know, uh, when they interviewed me, asked, okay, why do you want to be baptized? I was only eight years old at that time. And I said, I don't want to lie anymore. And that was something that just really stuck with me. It also helps that my mom said, you can go to hell for lying just as much as stealing. <laughs> and so that kind of 
scared me silly. So anyway, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about honesty and integrity. It's our fallen human condition that we've been rehearsing over and over again for centuries since the beginning. Uh, if you were to read the Adam and Eve story, uh, they, they did the rebellious wrong thing, and then they discovered their nakedness and decided, oh, I got to cover this up. And so they sewed fig leaves together. It wasn't a very permanent solution, was it? And so, but it's that human, fallen human condition that leads us to cover up and project out over like this sense of wholeness and covering to make up for the lack that's in our life, right? When I was a kid doing basketball, I was projecting that I was making it, but I really wasn't. And probably nobody was fooled. Probably most people were just like shaking their head like, oh, that kid. (laughs) What are we going to do with him? But the truth is I couldn't make the shot on my own right? I needed help. I also needed a heck of discipline to keep working at it. And I also needed to let time run its course so that I could become a little bit taller and actually probably get my hand around the ball more to actually have power to shoot it up there, right? I'm a lousy shot. So if we ever play basketball together, just know I'm good at defense, (laughs) but not so much the shooting. Here we go. Uh, But So I was projecting this false reality onto this idea that I could somehow earn my place in my family. Maybe I couldn't have, I didn't know those terms back then, but as I look back now, that's kind of what I was doing. I was like, mom and dad are going to be proud of me when I say I made it, and so that's really cool. I want that. But that's that's cheapening the fact that my parents love me unconditionally already as much as they can as, as equal fallen human beings. You know, it has nothing to do with my basketball prowess or lack thereof, whether or not they love me or that I have a place in the family or that I have a place at the table. I was their child and they loved me because that's who I was. And I would submit to you today that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the same is true in our walk with God. There is nothing you can do or say to earn your place in God's family. It's a gift of grace that was paid for with Jesus' blood on the cross. And he offers it to you and he says, just put your faith and trust in my gift of grace and you'll be saved. You will be rescued. You'll be brought into my family. You'll be uh, uh, an adopted child of God. And all of that is because of his love for us. And so Jesus really confronts our habit of spin because even after we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we still are dealing with sin and the, the tendency to say, oh, I see this problem. I got to cover it up. I got to spin my story one more time and maybe this time it'll stick. And you may not deal with that on, like, on a surface level, 
thing. You may not make that conscious decision, but I'm willing to bet there are some of the times where you might fudge a little bit. (laughs) Fudge the numbers. Maybe not. You guys seem like awesome people, but sometimes there are those people that just, uh, it's something that gets worked out through discipleship and through, through time with the Lord. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay, I'm going to do an introduction here, Richard, and then we'll go to the video. So, Jesus commands us not to play the game. He commands us not to play the game. So swearing here, like I mentioned before, doesn't really equal our idea of cussing, where we attach that name or title of God to some kind of cuss word. It was really taking an oath and invoking some higher authority to bolster our self-image or claim or a dispute that would happen and trying to add that it's like i don't know if you knew this really no i'm not going to go there anyway so i have this illustration forgive me for some of the crass language that may be in there it is the military after all but anyway so with uh, there was a movie that came out 30 years ago, folks. This is crazy. I'm old enough to remember when this first came out. So 30 years ago, A Few Good Men. Uh, and so there's Tom Cruise. He's this young hotshot lawyer who's trying to uh, get to the bottom of this case where somebody uh, had died and uh, because of an order that was given. And he's trying to get to the bottom of who done it, right? He's doing his best Perry Mason impressions here and so we find this scene it's the pivotal climax moment of the movie y'all it's amazing and it also has some coarse language but uh richard you can cue it up here um notice notice what happens here uh in, in this video hold please there we go Santiago wasn't to be touched. And why did he have to be transferred? Colonel? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when you went bad, you cut cursed. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had Marcus inside a phony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, You the doctor. Consider yourself in contempt. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. 
We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did. He said it. He admitted. He confessed. And also used the Lord's name in vain in that way too. Look at that. Look at how multi-talented Jack Nicholson is. So Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Jessup, right, he invokes those power-charged words of code, honor, and loyalty, right? And he even called them the backbone of life spent defending something. But from the movie we see that without the support of integrity from that man, he actually compromised his ability to live up to those values that he invoked. Because, I mean, he had a lot of pride in just wanting to make sure that this little punk kid and his, you know, court-martial thing knew what he stood for, and yet in 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 his admission, he admitted to the error of his integrity. The problem with making a habit of swearing by God's name in an oath is that it actually proves that the word doesn't stand true on its own. That our word is not enough. There's no, no weight behind that. Uh, uh, famed theologian John Stott once wrote this in his commentary about the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Swearing is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Swearing is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Jesus commands us not to play the game uh, of spinning truth or trying to say things. Even there in that clip, did you notice that he said, I did the job? <laughs> and then uh, Tom Cruise presses him even more, and he said, yeah, I did, and he used other words too. But anyway, he, he admitted, but even in his admission, he was still trying to spin it in a certain way that would make him look good, that would make him come out right in the end or appear so. We're commanded not to play games because we are called to a higher standard of representing God with integrity. Because when people see us, they get an idea of who God is and what God is like. Whether we see it or like it or not, it just happens that way. And so Jesus is calling us up into that higher, higher practice. You can go to the next slide. Jesus, the third and final thing, Jesus calls us to clarify our relationship with what's true. 
Um, there's this idea in business, and it's kind of become popular in, in the world today, where there's this idea of, that's called an integrity gap. And what that is, if you don't know, is that, <clears throat> there, that the more gap there is between what you say and what you do, um, there's a growing mistrust in there. And so that's why they call it, there's a gap and there's an integrity gap. And so, and most oftentimes in business, if they don't trust you to do what you say you're going to do, then they don't choose your business or they don't choose your services, right? Uh, if you say you're going to have a certain thing done by a certain deadline, if you miss that deadline, there's, there's a strike against you in that moment. Now, the reason I use this picture here is because uh, literally right as COVID was happening, I went to this conference and it was talking about masks. <laughs> Little did I know two years later, we'd be still talking about them. But I digress. So, but in a way, we all have some kind of a front mask that we put on. Um, uh, if you're on social media, um, if you're not, that's okay too. But if you are, chances are you might choose to put a picture of yourself from a couple of years ago or more than a couple of years ago. Um, I have a family friend where he posted a picture of himself and made that his profile picture from high school. <laughs> 1970s coif hair and, and a stash to boot. But anyway, we put up this front, whether it's on social media, it could be when you go down to the coffee shop or, or the restaurant or you're out wherever you are, maybe you're at the beach or something, like you present yourself in a certain way. Maybe you choose to have a haircut if you have some hair to have, right? That you choose that haircut because people are going to think of you in a certain way even if that thing is not true. An example for me would be um, a couple of years ago, I had applied to a pastoral position and I had tried to apply that dress for success idea and I totally missed it. Uh, I missed the fact that the culture of the church was not a, a suit and tie kind of thing. Uh, not only that, but I had the very humbling experience of I didn't really fit into my suit very much anymore. Um, I, I had grown a little bit here and a little bit here, and, uh, and there was no hiding that fact. And even though I was trying to put up this front as though I had all my stuff together, there was something else going on in my life that I needed to work on and that God needed to lead me through. And so Jesus calls us in, in those final words from uh, verse 37, he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The standard Jesus is calling us to is a way of practicing integrity that's as simple as a yes or a no. That you don't have to invoke God's name. You don't have to go through that big list of, well, by the church, I'm saying that this is true. Or by the pews in the sanctuary, 
Nobody says this, but like that's kind of how hyperbolic this whole language is. But in Jesus' day, people would do that kind of thing. You're not just invoking it, you're actually living it. Jesus is calling us to live with that integrity. And wasn't that our big idea that God's people should live with integrity? That that's the standard that he's calling us to? That we should have integrity? And if we don't, that's okay. But we need to not stay there. We need to be striving towards that moment of really embracing that identity from God and choosing to let God transform our lives so that maybe we're like little five-year-old Tim who's shooting the basket and not really making it, but I'm saying it is. And I had an integrity problem as a kid there in my honesty and whatnot. But Jesus can save you from that. And he can transform you to a point where I really have a hard time lying to people nowadays. Like, so much so that when I got COVID, like two, uh, a year and a half ago or so, like, I was so honest with the people on the, the phone call that I almost got our church slapped with a, a $3,000 fine. <laughs> And they called up the church and, and my pastor answered and he's like, <laughs> he gave me the bulging eyes of like, what did you do? <laughs> like, I've just like, and you know, so from glory to glory, you can be transformed and that's a very good thing. Jesus calls us to a higher standard where if you say, yes, you're going to do something, you follow through. What happens if you don't follow through? Well, Let's go to the next slide. You reflect. You, you think about it. You know, you think about, okay, how did I handle truth there? Was I really yet letting my yes be yes and my no be no? You ask questions like, how, how do I deal with honesty and transparency? Am I being that way? Or am I still trying to make myself look good? Even though nobody's fooled by it, Right? And in that reflection, we can also say, if I, if I don't live up to that promise that I made to somebody, then I also need to go to that person and repent. If it was an oath to God, you need to go to God and repent and say, God, I overestimated my ability to do that. I, I don't know what happened, but it didn't happen. And, you, and remember, repent is it's that changed mind where you are going one direction and then you have that revelation of, you know, this thing was wrong and I, I need to not do that thing. And so now I'm going to go the opposite direction towards God and to live in his way. And then also we need to renew our commitment to Jesus and his kingdom. Because as citizens of his kingdom... He's calling us to that higher standard. And are we really committed to that or not? And if not, then we need to, to go through the process of figuring out what's going on inside my heart. And God, can you do something in here? Because I don't know how to fix it. Uh, this is beyond me. I can't, I can't do it on my own. And so that renewed commitment to Jesus and his kingdom I wonder what would it look like to live this way as the church? 
to simply let our yes be yes and our no be no, where we're, we're honest, we're transparent, we're, we're just who we are, and we're in process, and so sometimes that's, that's a, a good thing, and sometimes that's a messy thing, and that's a hard thing. And so what might that look like? I have an idea. So you can go to the last slide there. So this is a picture. I, I just ripped it off the internet. See how honest I am? I don't have the rights to this picture, or any of the pictures for that matter. But so here's this, uh, here's this picture of an AA meeting, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in, uh, in New York. And in the last season of life that I got to walk through, I got the privilege of being at a church where we had an, uh, some kind of an addictions-based uh, anonymous meeting that would happen almost every day of the week. And I got to see these people just walk in and they were just normal people. And, you know, it, they're not, uh, I, I wasn't demonizing them in any way. I wasn't judging them in any way, but it was just something where you almost, it, it, as an outsider, you, you look at that kind of a situation and you think, oh, they may have it so bad. And maybe you don't, you guys are better people than me. But, but I got to witness that there were people who were really open and honest about their stuff. They owned it. There, there would come a time uh, it, where people would share in meetings, right? Uh, and admittedly, I've never been to, uh, to a full meeting, but I've gotten to see the outcome of those meetings, where for us as a church, we really embraced that recovery group mentality of like, let's testify to what God's doing in our life, whether that's, I'm a mess, or whether he's really transforming me. And I got to see people just actually really open up and not care if they were going to be judged or not. And my hope for our church is that if we ever have a, a smaller group kind of thing, or, you know, this is kind of a small group too, but but really, if we were to have those kinds of open, honest, dialogue, conversation things, that we could be open with our stuff. That we could say, I am really having a hard time with this thing. I need help. And, and maybe it might not be as you know, formal and awkward as like, hi, my name is so-and-so and... -so and you know, I, I relapsed this week, or maybe I didn't relapse this week. But it would be something where you could go to the person next to you and say, I'm dealing with this. What do I do? Because God has given us each other to help each other out. To be that, the hands and feet of Jesus to help each other. And it starts with being honest. It starts with, you know, let's say somebody asked you, how are you doing? And what if we were a church where I had a really crummy week and maybe I don't use the word crummy. Maybe I use more of an explicitive word that I'm just being forthright and honest like it has been a week. Fill in the blank, right? And what if we were a church? And that can get overwhelming. And so, like, if you're, 
if, if you're doing genuinely good, you can be genuinely good. That's okay too. And you can say, oh, I'm doing good. But also, if we're not doing so good, then it's okay to say, it's been a hard week. It's okay to be honest and say, I'm having a hard time. And I'm not going to harp too much more on this because I think you all are nodding along and you're, you're getting it. But I think that Jesus is calling us to that place of being people who live with integrity, who live with that conviction that says, you know what, I, I belong to God. I'm not exactly my own anymore. And so I'm going to choose to live his way, not necessarily my way. And I'm not going to always be perfect at it, but I'm still going to keep trying and getting back up again. And that starts with being with God.